0: Hello and welcome to SkyNet kind of today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what is just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode, in which you get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about this news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week. We'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our takes.
1: Hello, this is Daniel Bashir here with our weekly news summary. This week, we'll discuss two COVID stories, language models, and a self-driving startup. First off, the Tribune reports that researchers have developed a new AI-based method to counter emergent mutations of the coronavirus. The team at the University of Southern California's Viterbi School of Engineering developed a method to speed up vaccine analysis and determine the best preventative medical therapy. The method is apparently adaptable to analyze potential mutations of the virus. The study's corresponding author claims the framework can provide vaccine candidates within seconds and move them to clinical trials quickly. When applied to SARS-CoV-2, the original virus, the model eliminated 95% of compounds could possibly treat the pathogen and pinpointed the best options, and predicted 26 potential vaccines that could work against the virus. If this method is truly viable and successful, it would be an important improvement to our current process of growing pathogens in a lab, deactivating them, and injecting the virus. In other news on tackling COVID, Georgia-based Brave Innovations is working to gather voice samples to launch a voice-based COVID-19 screening tool. According to PR Newswire, the group is asking people to visit their website COVIDvoice.net, record a 15-second prompt, and repeat the process two more times. They plan to use the anonymized samples to build a tool that can identify someone is likely to have COVID-19 from their voice sample. In our current pandemic, we need easy access to quick and effective screening methods. If there are truly features of the voice that are indicative of having the disease, COVID voice would serve as a useful early warning system. Some time ago, Timit Gebru received a great deal of coverage in the media over a dispute between her and Google that involved the publication of a paper on the harms of large language models. According to a paper published last week from researchers at OpenAI and Stanford, the makers of large language models may not have very long to set standards that address their impact on society. According to VentureBeat, the paper states that developers might only have a six to nine month head start until others reproduce their results. This means that the actors who do possess large language models now need to develop norms and principles for using the technology. Given the potential for bias and disinformation spread that comes with language models, the researchers believe this work is incredibly urgent. Participants in the paper's study suggest methods to address negative consequences of large language models, such as enacting laws that require companies to acknowledge when text is generated by an AI. Other recommendations include training separate models to detect content generated by a language model deploying bias tests for language models before allowing their use, and completely avoiding specific use cases. There are many tricky questions around the governance of language models with the potential for negative impact, and if these researchers are right, we might truly be on a deadline to solve them. And finally, another self-driving startup. Pony.ai announced on February 7th that it has raised another hundred million dollars in an extension of its Series C round, bringing the company's total raised to over $1 billion. According to VentureBeat, some experts predict the pandemic will hasten the adoption of autonomous transportation technologies. For its part, Pony.ai has utilized its technology to deliver food and health kits in California during the pandemic. The company was founded in 2016 by former Baidu chief architect James Peng and former Google X employee Tian Cheng Lo. The founders aim to build level four autonomous cars that can operate without human oversight under select conditions in predictable environments. The company has offices in Guangzhou and Fremont and is one of the few to have secured an autonomous vehicle testing license in Beijing. It has partnerships with a Chinese state-owned auto group and a Guangzhou-based automobile maker to develop level four robo-taxis. With so many companies chipping away at the self-driving problem, We're likely to see plenty of news on this front in the coming years. That's all for this week's news roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners.
0: Now that you've had that summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for more laid-back discussion about this news by two AI researchers. I am Andrew kranikov a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation and reinforcement learning. And with me is my co-host.
2: I'm Sharon, a fourth-year PhD student in the Machine Learning Group, working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis, as well as to medicine. And so, this week... We are going to hit it off with a little bit more of a positive note, and our first article is titled, Georgia Startup Races to Complete AI-Powered Voice Screening Tool to Crush COVID-19. And so this is about a startup in Georgia named Brave Innovations who have been working a lot on trying to take in confidential voice samples, record what you're saying, and be able to detect whether or not you have COVID or not, whether you have some signs of COVID based on your voice samples. And that could maybe be like, um, I think like a, a potential cough or that kind of like type of test uh, to see, to see if you have COVID or not. And um, they said that you can just visit their website. It'll take 15 seconds to record something very short. And it's a scripted prompt in this, in this case. And then you just repeat this process a couple more times, and then they can uh, try to, they've trained a detector to, to detect whether you have a COVID. What are your thoughts on, uh, on this Andre?
0: Yeah, this is quite exciting. Uh, I recall it was just a few months ago, what we saw news articles about research coming out showing that you could use just a voice sample to pretty accurately predict if someone had COVID. And so it's cool to see that now there is this uh, effort to go ahead and make a public uh, tool to uh, use that kind of technology. And a neat note here is that when finalized, the voice-based COVID screening tool will be available at no cost to schools, universities, daycares, and a bunch of other uh, organizations. Uh, And yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I also find it interesting that they're trying to collect data in this sort of crowdsourced fashion where you can visit a website and uh, give your own uh, voice sample. Uh, So yeah, I guess it's it's kind of unlike last week. There's no negative angle here that I see. It's it's just kind of a cool use of AI, which we don't get to discuss often enough, unfortunately. So um, yeah, makes me feel kind of excited to uh, hopefully uh, see COVID uh, be in, you know, kind of ending this year with these sorts of better diagnostic tools and, you know, the vaccine and all of that.
2: Yeah, I've heard about some of these tools. Something that I want to make sure that is a bit clearer is the evaluation of these tools because based on what I've seen Previously, um, So I've seen ones where you can just cough into it and they detect whether or not you have COVID. And I think the problem is, is that precision recall are both very low and accuracy is kind of low as well. And so there are, are going to be false positives, false negatives. And I would like to know what that rate is and also if there is some kind of scientific basis under which we can rely on these uh, these these tools and know that there is something something there behind the way you speak or the way you cough that our systems now our sound systems can now pick up on them like I want to know if that is actually true um, as opposed to just testing this empirically because otherwise all it's going to do this tool is pick up on certain biases in a person's voice and I, I would prefer that not to be the case because I could see that very much happening so I want to know that there is actually some kind of information in the signal uh, and information that our current systems are capable of picking up on. Um, And I haven't seen very good information around that. Um, I know it's definitely a nascent area, but uh, it's definitely something I would like to see more of. And also I would like to see rigorous evaluation on it as well. Yeah,
0: that that definitely makes sense. Um, I guess one thing to note that's kind of interesting is that this project. Is a public-private partnership, so it's led by this Brave Inversions uh, company, but also has uh, technical support from the Applied Bioinformatics Lab, which is a collaboration between a few corporations and Georgia Tech's Bioinformatics Graduate Program. So that also makes me a bit more optimistic that you know this isn't just something that's a commercial effort; it's uh, this private public um, collaboration. And maybe that implies that, you know, the idea here is not necessarily to profit, but to make something useful, which would mean that they would uh, indeed try and uh, be more transparent and, you know, really test it out before trying to commercialize.
2: Right. Definitely. And so related on the COVID front, the next article is titled, New AI Tool Can Thwart Coronavirus Mutations. And uh, this article is from Tribune India. And so basically, uh, people are looking into using AI, researchers are looking into using AI to detect potential vaccines uh, or to suggest uh, potential vaccines that would work against COVID. Um, and uh, scientists have been able to identify, you know, some of the best, I think, 11 uh, from which to construct uh, some type of uh, vaccine uh, for it. And I think this is exciting, uh, as this is AI lending its hand towards uh, sifting through a lot of different possibilities and being able to surface some candidates. And I think this is a a good use case for it. Uh, I'm not sure how effective it actually will be. We'll see um, but it, it does feel like right now we are, we have a lot of information in some places. We don't have it all organized. We don't know exactly what the best vaccine is. Maybe we should parallelize um, all the vaccines that we think uh, would be the best candidates. And I think that's what this is getting at.
0: Yeah, it's it's another good application, obviously. And it's kind of neat to see the sort of um, tool in AI that's you know, the AI assisted method uh, here is that it predicts 26 or predicts some number of potential vaccines that could work to help hone in on the good options. And then from that, the scientists uh, can test those um, vaccines and hone in on uh, further what seems to be the best uh, options. So it's something we have discussed in the past that is uh, often overlooked that AI, rather than replacing people, will, in many cases, augment and, and make work easier and more efficient and more productive. So here, that seems to be a case of that, where it's really the AI assisting these scientists and making things faster, which certainly is something that we need. Um, You know, given we've seen already some scary news about coronavirus mutations. Um, Yeah, so nice to hear another positive use case of AI. Uh, But on to our third article, uh, something a little less positive, but something worth discussing. It's titled uh, Deepfake Porn is Ruining Women's Lives. Now the law may finally end it from the technology of view. And uh, as it implies, this is a pretty detailed article summarizing the problem of deep fake porn and the efforts to uh, pass laws that could counter it. And this is p- particularly problematic uh, because of its potential for reven- revenge porn, where specific people are targeted with the intention of being harmed with, in this case, um, you know, deep fake uh, non-real footage that may still look realistic and, and still cause issues. And in fact, we've seen from prior discussions that this is currently the most problematic aspect of deep fakes, that uh, this is the most common applications uh, there's kind of a worrying amount of of this being done and it's getting more and more accessible. So interesting to read about, you know, there being ongoing efforts uh, to counter it. Uh, what do you make of the details in this article, Sharon?
2: Yeah, I think uh, it's really important that laws are being put in place for this because this is fortunately one of the uh most almost like popular or like just, it's the most popular but also really just like the worst side of ai that i can think of That is just like objectively this is really bad um that people don't i i don't think people would argue with this as much there's not there's not like a both sides of the aisle kind of argument going on um when it is non-consensually using certain women's uh or whatever, uh, in, in terms of um, uh, putting them in, into porn and using it for revenge porn or something like that. And so I think uh, it's really great that laws are being drafted around this and that they're being implemented in some states because I think uh, it'll be inevitable that this needs to be regulated and all of AI needs to be regulated, but to start with the really obvious stuff is, is the way to go.
0: Definitely. And this article notes that right now in the U.S., 46 states have some ban on revenge porn, but only Virginia and California include faked and deep faked media. So right now, it seems uh, from the summary that there aren't many legal options. In fact, you can possibly get away with this really problematic uh, application of this technology. Um I guess the positive side is that this uh, article also highlights um efforts um to counter this there's already been deep fake bills in the US Congress that haven't gone anywhere but you know people are aware of the issue so yeah it's it's um it's another case I guess of seeing that um bad applications of ai are being called out and we need to be aware and to counter them is being emphasized in the media so um, it's nice to see that you know it's not all clickbait there's actually some um, pretty useful coverage that uh, summarizes the issues of ai and, and makes clear where we need to think deeply about how to you know, uh, address problems with AI.
2: Right. Absolutely.
0: And on to our last article, uh, uh, back to being maybe a little more positive or positive application of AI, but uh, uh, maybe also dealing with uh, some hype that hasn't been realized. This is uh, the article, "An automated vehicle expert explains how close we are to robot taxis." But in fact, um, if you read it, it's more about how we aren't very close. Um, and yeah, this article is interesting because um, you know, autonomous cars is one of these things that we've been seeing developed in AI for a long time. There was the uh, DARPA Grand Challenge for autonomous vehicles in, in something like 2005. And since then, uh, many, many, many companies have undertaken this effort to develop self-driving cars. And, you know, many people are predicting that by 2020, uh, we would have technology that we can use. And obviously, uh, that's not the case Uh you know, even in uh, products that have some self-driving functionality, it's more like cruise control than full self-driving. And certainly you can't, you know, turn off your attention. Um, yeah, so this article is a pretty nice summary of the various issues with uh, development and challenges that uh, include here. I don't think there's anything too interesting uh, but it's it's a pretty good read for just being aware of all the sensors that are part of autonomous vehicles and uh, all the um, kind of details that go into this effort Uh, sharon uh, you know uh, do you have any thoughts from this article or in general on autonomous vehicles
2: I liked how this article was very practical, or at least the um, expert that was interviewed was very practical about how, you know, certain technologies or certain pieces of hardware are really inexpensive now. So that's why um, we're using them. And so like just going about the whole process of like, hey, this is realistically what is a scalable component that we could use. Like RGB cameras, for example, are inexpensive. And so we can therefore scale them and versus what would be expensive um, that we that we can't use as much of right now. And, and that's why that's maybe slowing things down. But maybe in the future, they they will be less expensive. And so I think like that gives a really realistic like, oh, here's a status update of what's going on based on, you know, very much the cost of things. You can see the landscape of where things might be and what level of autonomy things are at. And I think that's really interesting, actually, because it is like a push and pull in the sense that. Uh, The companies themselves, they rely on the cost of things, but also the hype in the field can also push down the cost of certain pieces of technology. Like I know LIDAR is very much um, proliferated and and self-driving has very much helped bring that cost of that down. But um, I think uh, it's just just interesting to view it from that lens as well. Like realistically, where can we get hardware um, based on both uh, the popularity of usage as well as the... uh, the um, utility of it and what does that trade-off look like?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, That's certainly one interesting aspect that's covered in this pretty detailed article, uh, kind of surveying some of the history of the effort and and discussing, uh, for instance, the uh, development of LiDAR. But also it covers a lot of kind of mundane but sort of interesting aspects like we need to take uh, to make uh, sensors clean you know that's something I wouldn't think about but obviously you know you do need to do that and for that you need some sort of maintenance or some sort of human Um, and um, you know other other things like it discusses vehicles being networked uh, which is a whole other difficulty uh, you know on top of uh making vehicles use sensors and then have all the reasoning built in and yeah lastly it also covers sort of the application to robot taxis right not just autonomous vehicles but uh, applications like uber and lyft having access to these robot vehicles and hopefully making it even more che- cheap and accessible for people to have this sort of mode of transport so um Yeah, nice to end on a positive note. Uh, Maybe, you know, it's true that we aren't there yet, but there's so much work going on and there's been a ton of progress. So certainly we'll keep seeing more progress. And I think we can hope to have uh, access to autonomous vehicles and robotaxis within, you know, hopefully at least this decade, if not just a few years.
2: I agree. Or some hybrid sort of thing. We'll see.
0: Yeah. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Sky Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynetoday.com.
2: Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and review if you like the show.
0: Be sure sure to tune in next next week.